0: We make kids hold each other accountable. I see kids or or one of my seniors or one of my captains see somebody in the hallway messing around and one of my older kids is not saying something to this younger kid, then, then I'm more probably even more upset with the older guy that didn't take care of his business. So we try not to have just a whole bunch of rules because the kids know that we try to do everything right.
1: Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to baseballcloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. In this episode, I welcome Brad Gore, head baseball coach of the Enid Plainsman. Gore was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles after his high school years at Tologan, but chose to go to Oklahoma State and then was drafted again by the St. Louis Cardinals after four seasons at OSU. But instead, he chose to get into teaching and coaching after graduating in 1994. Coach Gore has been to the state championship five times in his career, winning it twice. And a few of the topics we get into. How Coach Gore emphasizes the importance of developing competitiveness, the importance of older players leading the younger, and building practice schedules around team energy levels during the demanding travel schedule in the spring. We also discuss the value of connecting with players as people beyond baseball, And that's noted as something that Coach Gore has increasingly appreciated the importance of in the course of his 25-year career. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Brad Gore. Coach Gore, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, I have, you know, I've been an admirer of you for a long time. So, uh, long story short, my first year coaching baseball at Duncan High School. And flashback. This is probably uh, six years ago. Our head coach uh, Tim Hightower, uh, who did a fantastic job, but but he always had high praises of you. And he was like, "If you wanna, if you wanna become as good of a coach as you could possibly be, you need to watch what Coach Gore does, and you need to pick his brain as much as you can." And and I said, "Okay, yes, sir." So I'm I'm really excited to to get you on the mic today. And I know we've had a, a bunch of conversations over the years, but. I'm excited to share with the world how good of a coach you are. And, and so, but for the guests who may not know you as well as I do, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into the to the game of baseball and why you decided to get into coaching?
0: Sure. Again, thanks, Jonathan, for the kind words. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, my coaching career kind of took off. I, I was raised in a baseball family. My dad was a high school baseball coach. My brother uh been a high school baseball coach for. 17 or 18 years you know I played baseball at Oklahoma State my brother played baseball at Oklahoma State he made it to AAA and so it's uh it's just one of those things that's kind of been in our our family for a long time and after my playing days were over I just you know I just didn't want to get away from the game and and so um I went into coaching and man I wouldn't change a thing it's it's um it's satisfying sometimes and and not so satisfying sometimes with the good way outweighs the bad. And, you know, I just love the game.
1: Definitely. And you mentioned that your, your brother played at Oklahoma state, you played at Oklahoma state, and now your son is committed to Oklahoma state. Is that right?
0: Yes. Um, yeah. He He's, he's a 2020 commit. So we feel very blessed that he's getting the opportunity to play for coach holiday and their staff. Um, really exciting time in our household. And, You know, as well as I do, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication to get to that point. And he hasn't made it there yet. He's still working really, really hard. But uh, it's kind of nice to have the chance for him to kind of carry on our family name in Oklahoma State baseball. And again, we just feel very fortunate and blessed uh,
1: that he gets that opportunity. For sure. For sure. Well, if you don't mind, just talk to us about, you know, what you guys are doing this fall. And I know we're getting into winter and and, and really preseason pretty soon. But if we came by and just on a random week at this fall, you know, what would we what would we see? And, and what would a typical week look like for you guys?
0: Well, you know, we just as you know, we just got uh turned loose to have kind of full practice December one. Mm-hmm. But if we were back in the fall where we're limited to one hour, we we kinda do three days of defensive uh work and two days of offensive one week and then the next week we go three and two the other way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on Monday we may be doing a set of defensive drills, breaking out our outfielders and infielders and catchers and and uh, actually even doing some flat ground work with our pitchers, not so much throwing in the falls we do, you know, at this point right now. But uh, you're going to see a lot of drill work. You're going to see guys doing a lot of different things for, uh, you know, middle infielders working together, corner guys working together, and, and our outfielders doing drills, just uh, uh, basic drills that we, we do a lot. Um, we kind of start every practice that anyway, whether it's spring, summer, or whatever. We do the same stuff, so yeah, basically, you're going to see three days of defensive, and then two days of offense, and then mm-hmm. vice versa the next week.
1: Perfect, perfect. Well, I want to know. You know, you, you took over at Enid uh, several years ago, and so you're you're really starting to put your foot down on what it looks like to be an Enid Plainsman. But what uh what are some things that you guys do? And and again, say we we showed up to practice one day. If we didn't know what your culture was based upon, or what your, I guess you could say, pillars would be, what would we? What would you hope that we would see? And what do you guys try and instill into your players?
0: Well, you want. To know, I, I, what we always talk about is our our practices are like our games, and that you know our speed of practice should be no different than the speed of games. So we're always constantly harping on, you know, go faster, do things faster. So when we face the teams that or in the upper echelon of six A that we haven't practiced at the level that they're going to be on. And, and that we hopefully are on, that they have to catch up to us. Um, That's kind of been our big thing is we kind of hopefully hang our hat on the fact that, you know, when you play us, you're going to have to grind it out. You're going to have to find a way to beat us because hopefully we're not going to beat ourselves because we've worked at such a high rate of speed and practice and, we really grind. I mean, I hate to say grind. It's not really a grind if you like it. Um, but we practice extremely fast, and we move around. And there's really not much downtime. And and that's kind of one of our things is is that to beat us, you're going to have to outwork us, or you're just going to have to beat us. And and uh, that's kind of something that we we pride ourselves in. Um, you know, we we do a lot of different things for culture building, you know, we we're fortunate, you know, about our stadium and Mm -hmm. how uh, fortunate we are there. And we have, we actually have a a room. uh, It's called the Dalma room that uh, the guy put on the stadium that has a, Oh, it's just like a kitchen in there. And we do a lot of team dinners after practice. We may just, you know, we just may run them up there and, and everybody have a hamburger and a bag of chips and something to drink just to, you know, let the guys know that we care about them and that, you know they're important to us and we host camps and and do things that the kids don't get paid for but they work and just so that they can kind of give back to our younger plainsmen that are coming up so you know we we got a lot of different things that we do that helps build our our culture but if you ask hopefully you know if you ask our kids what coach gore what is he what is he the most how would i say it what he what he wants done the most and that is to play hard
1: understand and and i'm sure that that you're trying to lead that by example as well
0: yeah you 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 have to i try to be the first guy at the yard and and one of the last guys to leave and you know it's kind of an old school approach but i think if you show the kids that uh you know you're willing to be there and put in the time that they'll follow you you know you and i were talking earlier about you know kids respecting you and wanting to do things for you as a coach um that kind of goes back to what you want to do for those kids also. And, Mm -hmm. and I try to, we try to give them everything that we can to, to show them that we really care about them, not only as a player, but as a person as well.
1: Definitely. And I think that my, that my career changed whenever I started believing that myself and, you know, as a young coach, I just, I didn't want them to come off as, as me being their, their friend and just being there to, you know, to hang out, I guess. And, and the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, we may be a family, but but they don't necessarily want to be my friend. They're, they're probably too cool for me. And and I just I think that my career really changed whenever I really started to try and get to know them off the field and as a person and what what truly drives them. And and I, I again, I, I'm sure that you've seen that, that exact same thing. And, and as, as you mentioned, we were talking about that earlier. And I just I think that that's that's fantastic. But we do have to have you know, standards for our programs. And and I want to know what, what do you got? What are your standards? And, you know, if if you guys call them rules or you call them standards, but you're like, hey guys, I I love you to death, but these are the things that we look for. And these are the things that we don't do. What what would you say to those?
0: Well, first and foremost, we tell our kids that you have to be a student first. You can't even play baseball if you're not passing your classes, you know? So Mm -hmm. first thing for us is, we're big and we hold kids accountable in the classroom, first of all. And, uh, we want to be successful in that way. Mostly they've, we also, we try to, we try to do this and it's worked pretty well. You know, we, we make kids hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. I see kids or, or one of my seniors or one of my captains see somebody in the hallway messing around and, and I walk by and one of my older kids is not saying something to this younger kid. than that I'm more probably even more upset with the older guy that didn't take care of his business. So that's kind of our standards. You know, we, we try not to have just a whole bunch of rules because I think the kids know that we try to, we try to do everything right. If you do something wrong, you're going to, you know, have to pay the piper every once in a while and kids are going to mess up. But if I really believe this, that if your older kids set that standard of of excellence and, and they're the ones that can even have more an effect on our team than I can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I guess to answer your question, my policy is that our upperclassmen are going to set the standard and and our younger kids are going to follow. And if they don't, then I'm the kind of the final judge, but our upperclassmen are kind of the jury, and they've done a good job here of, of kind of setting an example of what we expect
1: in our program. I love that. You guys got a little kangaroo court going on.
0: Yeah, it really is without uh, payment, but uh, (laughs) the payment, the payoff is, is that, you know, you don't have coach Gore harping on you all the time or something. (laughs) And, and honestly, man, I've been blessed, some great leaders. This is my 25th year of coaching and, and uh, I've been real blessed to have kids that have bought into what I try to do as a person or as a coach and, with no exception this year, I've got a, a a great group of seniors and juniors that are great leaders. And man, we we just haven't had discipline actions that uh, you'd look around, you know, and you're wondering what in the world's going on. We just haven't had to take a lot of disciplinary actions since I've been here, and it's been it's been really awesome.
1: Well, it sounds like you guys are, or at least you in general, are really good about communicating one your expectations, but two just about what's going on in the program and and they're communicating with you vice and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a a big key is, you know, you've always got a couple guys that you kind of lean on to, um, to get the pulse of the team or whatever, but man, we, we do, we have some really awesome kids. Uh, I've, like I said, I've been real fortunate to have kids that have always kind of tried to do what I've asked them to do. And, and honestly, you know, if, if they're not willing to do that, then they're probably not around. You know, it's one of those type of deals that we just we really hold our kids accountable for everything that they do, whether it be off the field or on the field. It's it's all the same to us. And and uh, like I said, I, I've I've been really fortunate to have some really good kids.
1: Oh, for sure. And you know, I, I think that that you leading by example sets the tone for everything else, and. I know something else that you are, and that's very competitive. I think, and I think most coaches are, but but I know after coaching across from you for several years that you are definitely competitive, and so I want to know how do you promote that in your program, and how do you kind of build that culture of competition into your practices?
0: Well, it's funny today. You know, we even we, uh, Jonathan, we try to do a competition out of every when we finish a set of whatever we're doing we have a competition of some sort almost every time, whether it be we're working on defensive fundamentals or we're, we're hitting in the cage or, or we're just running a basis. You know, we always try to end whatever session it is we're doing with the competition. For example, today we, we were running, doing our steps to first base, find the ball, the whole thing, you know, and and working on our rounding the bags and, and that was kind of the end of practice. We're working on a ball behind us, this mm-hmm. and that, running the bases. And uh, at the end, we just ran some sprints, uh, you know, who can get to first base the fastest. And, uh, man, the kids love it, you know. I mean, they love to challenge each other. It kind of sets the standard of I want to be the fastest guy. We, we, if, we do, if we're doing defensive drills and we got three or four fungos going, Usually at the end of it, we're doing how many plays can shortstop? We got four shortstops, and we got four third basemen, and we got four second basemen. We're gonna we're gonna challenge each one to see how many balls they can catch in a row, and and kind of end it on a competition. And you know, you get guys hooting and hollering and jumping up and down, and whether they win or lose, and I think that just kind of bleeds over into the games that it, you know, it really means something to try to win every pitch.
1: Sure, sure. I think if if you promote that and you guys do it every day, it becomes you know second nature.
0: Yeah, it really does. And our kids, they kind of feed off that. And it also, what it'll do is you'll find out who your most competitive kids are. You may have some really quiet kid that doesn't say much unless he's in competition, and all of a sudden, you know, that creature comes out of there that you've been waiting to see because you put him in competition, and and uh, he begins to open up and. It changes this whole season, you know, just by being out there in competition, you know. And another thing that we do that is kind of different, you know, we don't have great, great numbers, but we do practice a lot of times with our JV and varsity together. Mm -hmm. So for this reason, if I have a a really talented uh, varsity second baseman that's extremely competitive, and I've got a, a little young freshman that just, you know, trying to find his way. We call it peer coaching and <laughs> Love it. a lot of, and, and that, man, I, I totally believe in that. I don't know how many coaches do it, but we, we do it. We, I tell our upperclassmen that you're just as big influence on these kids baseball career as I am. So help them, you know, the game, you know, what you've done here for three, or four years, whatever it may be, you know, what we expect to help them. And so I think that has made a big impact on our program that, you know, when you put a senior out there, now, it takes the right kind of kids. Unfortunately, you know our kids look at it as, "Hey, I was once a freshman too. I know where I was. I know the feeling." So, if I'm a senior man, I want to I want to get this kid to the level that I'm at. So, it has worked really good. And and that's back to that competition thing. You know that those young guys learn that that competition factor from those older guys. That it's going hard all the time, and and the speed of the game is much faster, and and the rate of practice goes faster. So they 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 make big, big jumps in the fall and the in the winter.
1: Oh, definitely. It, it's one of those that you're leaving one with the senior, you're leaving the, the jersey in a better place than you found it, or you're at least trying to doing everything that you can to do that. You know, I'll tell you from experience, whenever I was a freshman and I had seniors that were telling me probably the same things that my coaches were. I really I don't mean this in a bad way, but I listened more because I had such admiration for those guys, and and you know, head coach and assistant coach are talking all the time. And there's only so much that that you can take in, and you know, he- just hearing it from a different voice, I think, m- can make the, uh, a whole lot of difference, especially to the young guys.
0: Oh, without a doubt, you know, uh, I just think some of these kids, especially here in Enid, that if they're in the seventh grade and they come, and a kid happens to get to play when he's a freshman or sophomore, and they watch that kid play for two or three years. And then all of a sudden they're in the same uniform that that kid's wearing. That It means something when that kid is actually trying to help them and trying to make them a better ball player. Cause they've been looking up to them for, you know, a couple of years. It's a really big deal to have somebody speak to you that's on your level now and uh, the same playing field that you're on. And, and it's not a, it's not a coach. It's, it's one of your peers.
1: Oh, absolutely. But I, I want to know, you know, you, you've mentioned that uh, you have a lot of younger players and, and that you let them, you for the most part, let the JV practice with the varsity. And I think that's a fantastic idea, but I also want to know how do you prioritize the individual's development within the team setting? And, and it's something that, that I think it, it's tough, but I mean, I, I just go back to if, if each individual player is going to get better, our our team's going to get better. And if I can help each of those guys progress to at a level that they're, that they, they're striving for every day, then I want to do that, but it's, it's not easy. And, you know, so what's your advice on that?
0: Well, my advice on that is it just takes a lot of hours to be a good coach. And if I have a kid that I, I feel like needs some individual attention, you know, we take that time. We, as a coaching staff, we take that time and it may, may be six thirty, seven o'clock at night that we're in the cage hitting with a guy or he wants extra fly balls or ground balls, or he wants extra, you know, reps here or there, then, uh, we're going to take that time, whatever it takes to try to build our team mm-hmm. and to build that culture of, Hey, you know, this is what we got to do. This is how we do it. It's just one of those things you have to do. And it's, uh, it, it can take a lot of time, but you know, I guess that's why they don't put a, a game clock on baseball is because it just, it's a different ball game. And, You just have to spend the time at it, you know, and I'm fortunate. I got really good assistant coaches to help me that really coach. And so it's just a matter of taking the time for us. I mean, we just, we just, we just make it happen some way. I
1: understand completely. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and skip to, you know, what practices look like in the spring. And, you know, here in Oklahoma, we could be playing almost six days a week and it's, it's practices at a premium, but I want to know, Besides the last couple of weeks of practice, when everything is kind of ironed out, you know, maybe you take us through in the preseason what a typical practice would look like, and you know, how much time do you spend on what? And and to be able to cover everything, it would take six hours to be able to do it. But what have you found to be kind of your niche or your recipe for success as far as practice in the spring goes?
0: So you're talking about during the season,
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. That is a, that's a great question because. You know, what I try to do is, is, is during games, I'll go to my, my notebook and write down something that we've, you know, failed at, or that I haven't done a good job of coaching. And so the next day, if, if we're playing, hopefully if we're at home, we may be on the field just a little bit earlier, uh, working on whatever situation or whatever it is that we're, we're struggling with and. You know, that's basically what, what we're looking for is what's our weaknesses throughout the season. So when we get to the end that we've got all those kinks ironed out. So yeah, it it's not so much maybe going we probably go away from more of the defensive and offensive drills and do more situational stuff mixed in. But I, I say that and then, you know, at least at least one day a week we're doing something fundamental defensively and offensively. But we do try to go more lean more towards you know what is going on in the games that we need to correct, whether we're not executing rundowns or first and third situations or maybe we're not communicating on double cuts or whatever it is, and uh more team oriented stuff uh in the spring and it, it's it's tough it's uh it's one of those things where if you know where we play it's you know six o'clock ball game in Tulsa. You know we're getting in late and we go again, but if we have a couple hours before a game, we're out there working on whatever fundamental it is or whatever game strategy we're not working on. We're, we're not working, then we're out there getting after it a little bit before the game.
1: I got you. So so the game's going on and you and you're just saying, hey. So we didn't we didn't do this very well. You jot it down in your notebook and then that's it, immediately you go over it the next day.
0: Yes, we try and, and you know we. I always try to talk about it after the game that, you know, here was something that we, and I always try to talk about something real positive we did. Usually there's something, you know, there that you can take both ends and end the thing with something positive. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to address it right after the game verbally. And then the next day we're going to try to put that situation together with whatever we have and, and make it uh, as real as we can and, and try to go through it as many times as we can to, kind of get it fixed so yeah it's just uh you know throughout the game i'm gonna write stuff down or or i'm gonna say hey on the one of our charts hey write this down we we're not covering the outside part of the play this guy's blowing us away through two times through our lineup at the same pitch we gotta we gotta figure out offensively what we're gonna do to create uh you know to correct that so yeah it's just the game man i mean i feel like you got to take notes, and you you got to uh, work on your weaknesses as quickly as you can so it doesn't mentally go
1: away in their head. Let me take a few seconds to tell you guys about OnBaseU. On University is an organization that studies how the human body moves in baseball and softball. They offer certification seminars that teach coaches, trainers, and medical professionals how to assess an athlete's physical ability to perform movement patterns that are specific to hitting and pitching. For example, they just put up a blog post on their website, onbaseu.com, that discussed why hip internal rotation is important in hitting and how they evaluate it with their OnBaseU screen. If you want to learn more about OnBaseU, I did a podcast with the OnBaseU founder, Dr. Greg Rose, episode 78, and he talked about how he modeled the screen after golf assessments that he created for TPI. They are hosting pitching and hitting seminars in Phoenix, Newark, and Houston over the next few months. I will be attending one soon, and I hope to see you there. Yeah, I understand completely. And, you know, something that that I love to ask other coaches about, because I, I think that we could make up a lot of time in it, and that's BP, because there's so many different ways that you can do it. and there's so many successful coaches that do it in so many different ways. But, you know, I just want to know, what, what's your BP setup look like? And if you don't mind, just take us through it.
0: Sure. We try to use the two... Uh, two cage approach on the field where we probably have uh, a guy throwing live BP and then a machine going at the same time so we're going to have two groups hitting at one time. We'll also have a kind of a base running group where trying to take advantage of a ball in the gap going first to third or we're we're looking for a ball on the ground behind us and advancing and then we'll have our shaggers obviously and if, if everything is right we'll also have at station behind our behind our turtle okay. uh, going that is that's sometimes difficult because coach sometimes wants to talk a little bit too much during BP and <laughs> and uh, slows everybody down but uh, if we're really snapping through it, it it really works good and you know you can get a lot accomplished obviously you got guys taking defensive reps uh, also we we always put our outfielders in their outfield positions and they're breaking on every ball. It's not just run over and toss it in. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we got a lot going on, hopefully a lot of learning, even during BP
1: for us. Okay. So I'm trying to imagine this. So you've got two turtles next to each other, one that's live and then one that's off a machine. Yes. Okay. And then behind it, you've got a tee that is hitting into the, like the back screen net.
0: Well, we have a little portable net that we put back there like a okay, stock okay. net.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: Okay. So we've got that going on. And then we've got a couple screens protect, you know, our first, we got four screens with the double BP, you know, obviously to protect guys that are throwing and whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we have a guy at first base running. Maybe, maybe we're doing something where we're trying to hit the ball on the ground. I, I don't, but everybody's got a cue off of who they're. Going off from what hitter they're going off from. Usually, the guy that's that's on the far left is the cue for the base runners to to run off from.
1: Okay, and the and is are the guys that are all hitting in the same group, or is that three separate groups?
0: That's three separate groups. So we'll we'll have twelve guys running around up there at the at the the cage area with uh, eight up around the cage area and four back behind with the sock net. Uh, working on their stroke and then kind of, you know what I'm saying, four sure. guys running bases and mm-hmm. about 10, 15 chasing shagging balls. So I
1: oh, got it. Now, uh, have you used the machine for forever? Or is that just kind of a new thing that you guys have, have started to do? You know
0: what? Early on in my career, I did, I didn't use the machine very much. Uh, wasn't just a real, real big believer in that, but, I do think there's a lot of value in that now, especially with the type of machines that we have that are, you know, you don't have to worry about one banging somebody in the head. They're, they're really accurate. And mm-hmm. I think what it does is it gives the kid a chance to see some velo. I think you can't replicate that really any other way unless you're going live with your own pitchers, you know, and, in inner squad or scrimmages, which, you know, you really can't do that every day. So we, uh, to get that, you know, that little extra hump on there. We, uh, we use the machine quite a bit.
1: Got it. And when we've, uh, we use it, I think almost every single day besides, uh, last Friday, we actually, we did, uh, you talking about competition. So we use the machine every day. They, and to be honest, the kids absolutely hate it because it just wears them out most of the time. And, you know, I, it's just one of those things. It's like, guys, if, if you hit 800 in practice, then we're not doing our job to prepare you for the game. You talk about speed of the game and, Speed of the player earlier, but last Friday we've got a couple former pitchers on our coaching staff, and and I was I was like, all right, well let's just do a little dirty for thirty. So we set set up the L screen at thirty feet away, and just I don't think they scored a run off of us because we were just mixing BP, <laughs> and we'd give them three outs, and it'd be four pitches, and they'd be done. And so that that's another way that we've we've tried to figure out how to simulate BP, you know, and just to make it more game like. And I think that. The more that I'm into it, the more that I just, I don't want them to take reps without having to make a decision. And that's one of those things that if you're mixing BP or you're hitting off of a machine, they're not, it's not going to be perfect every time, but you have to make a decision just like in a game, whether or not to swing or not. And if, if it's just laid in there at 40 miles an hour, right down the middle with perfect BP every time you don't have to, you're just kind of mindlessly swinging, but but that was a lot of fun. So we we do use machines every single day, and or most days, and and then also we do a little dirty thir- dirty thirty as well, and and that's been a lot of fun. But you've got to get in there, and you've got to do that sometimes. I'm sure you do. But you're oh yeah, give them a little a little Oklahoma State special right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I still get up there and throw, even as old and fat as I am now, out of shape. <laughs> but it's it's still a lot of fun, you know. We also use, we we don't do this as often as maybe we should, but we do use cones in the outfield and, and try to make guys go gap to gap more than, mm-hmm. you know, down the lines. And uh, that is something that I should do more if that I don't is, uh, you know, use cones and make guys hit in the gaps. And I think that's really, really, really valuable. I think guys get, you know, even if machine or whatever, live BP, they, they sometimes just get pull happy and, and, uh, you got to rein them back in a little bit. And that those cones and the gaps sure seem to, uh, if you get a couple of swings and you get pull happy, you got to get out. It it can change
1: things a little bit. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I love that. And and I love being able to put a competition aspect on it of, hey, who is the group that can have the most in the cones? I mean, that's just a, a no doubt a good constraint to to have. And we talk about, you know, making competitions and practices. I think, and I you mentioned this earlier, we can make anything a competition, but it's going to heighten their awareness on what's going on because they're like, oh, instead of just being left field to right field, there's cones out there now. And now I've got to hit them. In, and now we've got pushups if we lose. Oh, I'm in. So. Yeah. I I really like that a lot. And you know, another thing that's really tough whenever you play you could be playing five days a week is trying to figure out a time and a and a lift schedule in season. So is there any tips that, that you could offer us for that? And you know, when when do you guys find time to do that? If you do find time to do that and and yeah, what would you offer for us?
0: That's a good question. We kinda in in the spring, once we start playing, we'll go from we lift either three or four days a week. Up until the season starts, okay. and once it starts, we'll go. We just go two, just to maintain, and so we don't go backwards. We, we're just in maintain mode throughout the season because, like I said, we're on the bus. We're in kind of a different spot in Oklahoma, so every time we get on the bus, we're we're looking at two hours wherever we go. So it's really hard to that. That's one of our tougher things. Is you know, like I said, we we play a seven o'clock game in Bixby and we don't get home till one in the morning and then, you know, get the kids up at six o'clock in the morning for weights is probably not very smart. Mm -hmm. So we kind of mix that up. You know, it, we, we go off the feeling of what our team needs and we kind of look at our schedule for the week and we determine, Hey, you know, Wednesday looks like a day where, you know, we can have a light practice and then we can get our weight training in and then, we play in a tournament at one o'clock on Friday. And when we come back, we can jump in the weight room when we get back. So to answer your question, I guess it just varies from time to time that if we're going to play at home on a couple of days. Then we may have a six thirty in the morning workout to get one of our days in. And it just varies with us on we're going off the feeling of our players and, and how tired we are. And I, you know, we got to get it in, but, uh, we we just go with uh what we feel is best for our team on times.
1: Yeah and and that's the I mean that's the toughest thing and especially with with the drive that you guys had and and I know that a couple of years ago this is for the listeners who don't know this is my second stint at Union and and our strength coach would always recommend Monday mornings and Thursday mornings and w- we haven't lifted in the mornings a ton this fall just because we want them to get a, a, an adequate amount of sleep when we can but he always said Monday mornings because you never play on Sundays and Thursday mornings yeah. because you never play on Wednesdays. And so that I always really like that. And and that's you know, that's something that if if you really can't find time after practice, it's, you know, not not speaking to you, Coach Gore, or maybe I am. But definitely for the listeners who are like, and I, I can't find time. We've got to. We've got to. And you mentioned that you guys lift three or four days a week and you take three or four weeks off and, and they've they've lost a lot of that.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I, you know what, Jonathan, I've never really thought about the Monday-Thursday thing like that. That is an awesome idea. And you may have just gave me a, a new way of doing that, but if if you're not doing it, you're behind. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not putting in that time in the weight room and maintaining at least, you know, it, it kind of hurts me just doing two days a week because I know we've worked really hard to get to where we are, and then it kind of feels like we're letting off the pedal a little bit, but you know, the research kind of shows that, especially as young as our kids are, I mean, you say, well, they're high school kids, but they're still young kids. They got a lot of body development and growth. And you mentioned sleep, how important that is. And our diet, our kids, we've tried to really incorporate, we've had a lot of people come and talk to them about what they should eat. And, you know, we tell them that it's probably more important what you put in your body. You can put junk in your body and lift as many weights as you want. It's not going to, it's not, you're not going to get any dividends, but if you put the right stuff in there and do the right amount of lifting, it's really going to pay off. So it's one of those things where we, we know we have to do it. So we're going to find a way to get it done.
1: Definitely. And like you mentioned, if, if it's important to you, you've just got to find the time to do it. But you also, you said earlier that you've been a coach for uh, 25 years and I love this question because it, it allows for a little bit of self-reflection, but, also, you know, it's it's one of those things that if I could go back, I would do this or I would do that. But what do you wish you had known before you became a head coach? And you know, what would you tell your first yourself?
0: Well, we've kind of hit on this a little bit, but and you even said it earlier. I think that when you were younger, you would have took more time to maybe build relationships. That that's probably my you know, if I could go back and and I was younger. When I was younger, it was just about baseball, baseball. You know, I want to get better. I want to practice. I want to play games. And, and uh, you know, I was so young that I didn't take time to enjoy the small things, which were, as I get a little older, you know, I start to look and think, man, I, I really enjoyed just having a few minutes sit down with this kid and get to know him. And I think that would be my number one thing is going back. I, I loved my players. I mean, I, there's not one group or one team that I'd say, you know, man, I didn't enjoy that, but I don't think I took the time as a younger coach to, um, maybe have a more personal relationship with a kid and find out what's going on at home and what makes him tick a little bit more. And, uh, you know, if I'm a young coach, that would be one thing that I would sure stress to them is to, you know, take time, enjoy it. It's, uh, there's a lot to be had from the kids. They They can teach you a lot as well. And you know, not everything might seem rosy on the outside for them, but on the inside, it might not be. And there's a lot of things that you can help them with personally that, you know, you just forget how much you really mean to that kid. You, I don't think coaches a lot of times understand the influence their words have on these kids if, if they really, really respect you. And a lot of times I didn't take the time to think that, man, this, you know, this is important to this kid. It was just more about, Building the team instead of building personal
1: relationships. Yep, guilt is charged. Another thing that I don't, I don't want to say that I wonder about a lot, but I always I'm really bad about trying to plan the future in the now. And obviously, I, I would love to be a head coach someday. And and I'm really I I don't want to ru- I just want to enjoy every minute that I have right now. But you know, something that that I think that some of the coaches that I'm around right now and. And you do yourself is you they help as good head coaches help prepare their assistants to be good head coaches someday. And so I want to know, you know, as a head coach, how do you prepare your assistants to be for the ones who want to be head coaches someday, how do you help prepare them for that?
0: Well, you know what my number one thing is that I try to tell my coaches is I want you to coach. I want you to feel comfortable, not I'm not looking over your shoulder. If there's something that maybe I don't like, we'll discuss it, but I don't look at it as I'm their boss as much as I am, you know, I'm their buddy in coaching and, and I learn from them just as much as they do from me, but I try to let my coaches coach. I mean, let them do their thing, have their say, try it their way, you know, and I've been off of fortunate to have guys that are really loyal to me and do whatever I ask. So I've been real fortunate on that end, man, that, you know, just I just try to let my coaches coach, I guess, would be the answer is and I let them try to be involved in as much as they can to see all aspects. You know, if we have a problem, I want them to be involved in it, not that they're taking any of the heat or whatever it may be. I don't even consider it heat, but if we have a dilemma that needs to be solved, I, they're in on every part of it so that they understand, you know, that it's not always just about x's and o's and making pitches or or hitting home runs it's, there's out outside stuff that you know you have to deal with as head coach that you might not have to as an assistant so mm-hmm. i try to let them see all that stuff that i can even the financial part of running a program is not easy you know uh, having enough money to do this or you know having your busher club help you do that or going to the school and asking them you know we need this or that it's it's a pretty big undertaking just to run a program. So financially, so, uh, you know, I let them, let them get in on that a little bit and let them see all the parts of it. That's that are maybe not even non-baseball related.
1: No, that's really good. And, and you can definitely tell by just our conversation today that you're very passionate about that. And, and you're also very passionate about learning. I mean, we, we talked about the Monday, Thursday thing and you're like, Hey, that's great. You know? and, And so it sounds like you're constantly trying to to better yourself better your program and better your players but i want to know what's something that you've learned lately that you're really that's gotten you really excited
0: well you know what i there are a lot of things that i learned i you know i'm kind of one of these guys i i like to look at the twitter and, and look at all the stuff but i got to know a little bit at last year's oklahoma baseball coach association clinic was kai correa mm-hmm. and i got to sit down and pick his brain a little bit and then of course, I watch all of his videos and his, his training stuff. And, man, we've really put a lot of his stuff into our practices. I love it. I mean, I'm giving Kai a plug here. So, But, yeah, he's but a that, that stuff that he, he brings to the table defensively, there's other guys that, that we follow too and do stuff that they do. And But I've done a lot of Kai's stuff here recently that has really helped our defensive program. I really believe that.
1: And I'm a huge fan of, of Kai and, and obviously former podcast guest. And I just, again, he's a stud, but I also love how gifted of a communicator he is. And, and if you guys are listening and don't know, you know, hashtag Friday fielders or, or Kai Correa, make sure you guys go check that out. Cause uh, he and the Friday fielders crew do an absolutely fantastic job. But my last question that I always love to end with, and it, it all boils down to the players, and so if, if our listeners are listening to this and they want to take something away that has to do with our players, I want to know if you went to, if I came to your practice tomorrow and I said, Hey, you know, starting shortstop for, for Enid, what is your favorite thing that you do in practice that coach Gore has for you guys? Or, or if you show up one day and you're saying, Hey, we're guys, we're doing this today and they get, they just go ecstatic and they're getting really excited. What would, what would a couple of those things be?
0: you It's kind of a it's kind of a you wouldn't believe this, but I swear to you the group that I have this year, no doubt about it. they love to do what we call twenty one outs, which is I'm sure coaches do it probably all over the place where you send your guys out you got a guy with a fungo, and you try to get twenty one outs before you make an error and again, it is super competitive, you know we make it as tough as we can and we make guys sprint off and on the field for conditioning. When and and you know guys hold each other accountable. I, again, there's that word. I, our players hold each other accountable, and it kills somebody if they if they bobble a ball or they throw a ball away. And we put time on it and this and that. But they absolutely love the competition part of getting 21
1: outs. And so, uh, say we have a couple of listeners who are like, Coach, what what in the world is that? Can you might explain in that.
0: Well, what we do is, is for us, we have three different defensive teams. So we have one defensive team on the field. And if they can get 21 outs uh, before making an error, then they win. If they make an error, another team gets to run on the field and try to get 21 outs before they make an error. And and it's just kind of a game. It's competition between three different teams. So it could be over on the first group and guys on the side, you know, are over there trying to distract and do all this stuff. And and it's really, really, it is kind of fun. It's fun to watch. You get to see kids, you know, compete and, and also yell for each other and and a lot of pats on the backs and it it gets super competitive. But once, uh, if that team makes an error, they have to sprint off the field, the other team sprints on and it starts over again. So uh, it's nice to, to watch guys, you know, root for each other and, and pat each other on the back. And it's real, I don't know why, but it really gets our guys excited.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, coach Gore, we, we do appreciate your time and, and thank you so much for being with us today. And, and if any of our guests have any questions about anything that you covered today, where would you send them to get in touch with you?
0: Well, my email would be uh BD one eight at gmail.com.
1: Cool. Well, I'm just going to open it up for you and just, you know, anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
0: You know what? Well, I don't really, Jonathan, but I sure appreciate you having me on and I, I appreciate what you're doing for baseball and in Oklahoma and everywhere else is my understanding. And, you know, I just hope uh, hope you continue to do good and,
1: and uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay Ahead of the Curve.